listening to the Keefe to the City podcast. All right, the Yankees uh, lost the suspended game in Washington, D.C., then bounced back with a win at the in the actual game at night, the actual full-length game with Sonny Gray starting. So they split the season series 2-2 two to two with the Nationals and now return home for the rest of the homestand that had started before their uh, second trip this season to Washington. And, and after the disaster that happened in the middle of May, they finally were able to get the games in. And join me today to talk Yankees baseball with a a huge homestand to finish out the month of June is Eric Bolin, the Yankees beat writer for Newsday. You can uh, catch him there at Newsday. Eric, how's it going today? It's going great, Neil. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I realize we hadn't talked in, in quite a while sometime, or it's been, but uh, you know, even though the Yankees have, have been better this season than they have in years past, with aside from really last year out of the last five years, it doesn't uh, seem to amaze me how many people you still have to send off you go on Twitter. <laughs> You know, it's one of those things that just sort of has caught on with my uh, my followers, which I suppose is a, is a good thing. Um, but it's a, it's really only a select group that earns such a, a designation. You, for example, as much as you can drive me crazy at times on uh, Twitter, I, I would never send you. Uh, you would never go to uh, off you go land. That's for sure. <laughs> well, that's good to know. And uh, you know, we haven't talked this season. The first of Aaron Boone as a manager taking over after ten years of Joe Girardi. From your standpoint, someone who covers the team every day is in the clubhouse, has to actually deal with the manager and not just hear uh, your grievances over Twitter. What's been the biggest difference in covering Boone from when you covered Girardi? Um, I, well, first of all, I would hope I never aired any grievances over Twitter. I don't think that's our job as, uh, as, as reporters, uh, talking about the people that we, uh, that we cover necessarily, unless of course it's in the context of an answer to a, you know, a question that that's an obvious question that needs to be asked. Um, but you know, I mean, he certainly is looser. Um, he, he certainly, um, is more expansive in his answers with, uh, with us, um, none of which has a hill of beans to do with, with how good or bad a manager is, by the way, in terms of running a game, because his main job is, is the 25 guys in the clubhouse and the, and the people that he reports directly to, mainly uh, the general manager. But, you know, look, the, the Yankees got what they, what they were looking for, which was a, a change in direction from, from Joe Girardi. And uh, I'm not adding any layers here by saying that uh, – Girardi's intensity and in, in treating every game and carrying himself as if every game was game seven of the World Series, uh, you know, ha- had grown to be somewhat of a strain uh, on some in the organization and some players. And I use the word some very carefully here because uh, it's not all, uh, but, but it, it certainly was a factor in it, and it was uh, from ownership on down that they, they wanted a, a little bit more of a friendly face on an everyday basis uh, at the front of the organization, and, and they without question got that with uh, with Aaron Boone, uh, who you know it didn't take him long to uh, to to gain the, the trust of his players and to become well liked in the uh, in the clubhouse uh, and respected as well, which of course is the first and foremost. And Joe Girardi, I think it needs to be mentioned too, uh, was very respected in that that clubhouse. And I'm not sure all of that came out when the in the ugly breakup at the end, but uh, you know, nevertheless, again. 
you know, this is this is the direction that the Yankees wanted to, to go in, and, and they've gotten uh, sort of that warmer uh, personality that they were uh, looking for without question. And from the standpoint of actually in-game managing and the way, like, at home when you're watching the game and you try to think ahead with the manager what moves will happen, um, to me it seems like there really isn't much of a difference in-game management style from Girardi to Boone. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, a lot of this stuff is, I don't want to say predetermined because that's not accurate, but, you know, look, I mean, they're, they're just like Girardi, you don't usually see relievers pitch three days in a row. Uh, you know, guys are going to get their, their rests every once in a while, and this is always a war that I have with people on Twitter with the, with the lineup <laughs> because nobody, nobody, as you know, nobody ever likes the lineup that's put out there. Um, regardless, I think one game this year, I didn't see any criticism of the lineup. And actually, I'm not sure that's true because I think there was at least one guy that was like, well, so-and-so should be batting, you know, eighth instead of ninth, whatever it may be. Um, but, uh, you know, he gives guys rest, um, which, you know, there are no Cal Ripkins anymore that play every day and people are slow to, to embrace that, but it's been that way for actually quite a while in baseball. Uh, but again, yeah, I mean, so in terms of management and, and taking guys out when they reach a certain pitch count, I mean, I, I think it's it's indistinguishable to be uh, to be honest with you uh, for, from Joe Girardi. I'm, I'm, there definitely are uh, differences, but you're exactly right when you're uh, kind of thinking along with the manager, uh, which reliever in which situation. You know, I mean, I, I think that there's certainly a lot more similarities than than differences that we've seen so far. Uh, between the two I think one thing that Boone it might have taken him a little longer to realize that you know anyone who watches this team day in day out for the last five years knows uh Della Batances isn't the guy you want going out for two innings at least he hasn't been the last couple of years and for a guy who was so great for you know four years and then really bad down the stretch last year and everyone whether it was media fans got on him and this year he's you know bounced back from a rough beginning to be great again and, and everyone's just sort of you know no one's you know, praising him. I don't see anyone talking, you know, overly positive about him. Everyone just, I think, expected him to get back to that point. And things were so bad for him at one point. But the fact that Boone isn't using him in two inning roles anymore and has sort of, you know, shown confidence in him to pitch the eighth inning once again, it's sort of been night and day from what we saw at the end of last year and the beginning of this year to sort of, we have, you know, Dallin Batantis of three and four years ago back. Well, I would say the Dallin Batances of, of last year. I mean, people forget he was an all-star last year. This is a guy that was an all-star four straight years. Um, and the, the I don't want to use the word hatred because I think that's probably overblowing it a little bit, but the, the dislike from Yankee fans towards expressed towards Batances is one of the great mysteries that I've experienced in you know, <laughs> now, ten, now 10 years covering this team. Um, this is a homegrown kid uh, in every sense of the word. He's from New York. Uh, drafted and developed by the, the Yankees, and and for a three-year stretch, really a three and a half-year stretch, there, you know, if you're listing best relievers in baseball, you're getting to his name uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, he, he would argue he was a top five reliever for that three and a half years, and then obviously, you know, last six weeks or so of last year, uh, things went sideways on him, and then he had a slow start to this year. But it was amazing to me how those six weeks to end last year to a lot of people, and this is where I'll separate the, the media and the fans, there was a lot more criticism of him from the fan base than from the media. And I'll blame you. You know me well enough, Neil, and follow me <laughs> enough on Twitter. I, I, I'll, I'll put the media 
out on the woodshed or take the media out to the woodshed on certain things that I think get ridiculous in terms of narrative and nonsense and the like, just get me started on team meetings, for example, and the importance <laughs> and the, news, the newsworthiness of that. Um, but the Batances thing, um, that far and away was a fan thing more than a media thing where people just would quit on the guy to trade him, get rid of him. He's done whatever based on six bad weeks last year and how that wiped out the previous four straight, you know, seasons where he was an all-star, it was a great mystery to me. So, um, you know, I, I, I think this is an example of Boone sticking with a guy where it's paid off, you know, after he had some, some tough outings early in the season, you know, either a, you saw people wanting him outright, you know, demoted, you know, he should be a garbage time guy or released or traded, whatever it may be. And here was Boone who continued to throw him out in big situations and he's reaping the rewards right now, obviously based on on what we've seen from him uh, in his last 11 outings. And it goes back a little bit further than that, but his last 11, he's been exceptionally good. Um, and, And what you've seen is now, that bullpen that everybody talked about as more than likely going to be the strength or one of the strengths of this team this year has been that for the last month and a half. And and maybe it's not the exact lineup that you thought it would be because obviously Tommy Canely was, was supposedly going to be a big part of that. But, you know, now it seems like, you know, the Chad green, you know, pitch that got away yesterday that Soto hit out aside it looks like, you you know, they've settled in now with with kind of a green Batanzas Chapman, in the last three innings, and it's been really good. Yeah, and I totally agree with you on Batances. I think there's very few Yankees over the years that I've never given, you know, the ladies and gentlemen treatment to or haven't been, uh, you know, taken, you know, to task over Twitter. But Batances has always been my guy. I mean, through the dark period of, you know, 13, 14, and basically the 15th season, he was essentially the best player on the team when there wasn't many players worth rooting for. Um, Like you said, a homegrown guy brought up through the system from New York City, has always said everything right, you know, been a stand-up guy both on and off the field. So it is puzzling to see when fans jump on someone like that. And I think to that same sense, you know, the, the, the outrage that people have had over Gary Sanchez over the last few weeks as if, you know, last season and the end of 2016 never happened. Um, and as crazy as people on Twitter are, I don't think I've ever seen anything as crazy as people suggesting Austin Romine should be the starting catcher. Yeah, that one's um, that's been a head scratcher. I guess you always have to be careful when you see crazy stuff on Twitter, as, as we do on a regular basis, of extrapolating too much from that. Um, you know, it, it, it does sometimes give you a, a warped view of um, you know majority opinion, if you will. And if you see three crazy things on Twitter, it could just be those three crazy people, and it's not necessarily as widespread as you think. But that said. You know, it, it is, you know, I've seen that quite a bit. I've heard it a little bit. I'm not a huge, uh, you know, I don't listen to a ton of, of sports talk radio, but I, I, you know, I listen to a little bit and I've, uh, I've heard callers, you know, say that. And that's a little bit of a, of a head scratcher. I mean, you do have a kid here who's 20, still 24 years old um, and he, he's not completely polished. Uh, it's a work in progress. And, and you're right. It's amazing how, you know, the first, now, you know, three months of the season, uh, well, two and a half months, uh, somehow wipe out what he did in 16 and pretty much all of last season when he hit 33 home runs. And, oh, by the way, missed 
the first month of the season, essentially. Uh, so he probably would have been a 40 home run guy last year or something close to it. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's work to be done there. I, I, I think anybody that, that says that, oh, well, this is what he's going to be and, he, and he's going to be a, a, a 194 hitter. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I don't think you're, you know much about baseball if you think that that's going to last the entire season. Uh, the work behind the plate, you know, it, it's a legitimate uh, concern. And there's no way around it, but I will tell you this, um, you know, when he hits a three-run homer in the seventh inning, all of a sudden that other stuff doesn't seem to matter much either. Uh, you know, the, the, the passed ball, the, the wild pitch that he doesn't stop that maybe he should have. Um, you know, Austin Romine has been absolutely terrific. And, there, and, and what I'm saying about Sanchez uh, in, in no way is, is denigrating Romine. Romine is probably... I haven't gone through every uh, team's roster, but I I think he's probably the best backup catcher in the sport, in a sport that doesn't have a lot of catching depth, period. And Romine would start for a lot of major league teams, and he would be an everyday guy. Uh, And the Yankees are very fortunate to, to have him. He's got an edge to him. The pitchers really like him. Uh, you know, he's, he's a, a, emerged as a clubhouse leader in his own way. Uh, he's very well respected in there for a variety of reasons. Um, and I, his offense this year, I mean, talk about a guy that, that has never hit really consistently. Uh, and the fact that he's, he's made himself into a, a more than capable hitter, um, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for that, doing that at age, you know, what, now 28, 29 years old. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the, the, the fans that are excited about what they've seen from Romine, I mean, I think they should probably – you know, uh, take that only up to a certain point. And, and Austin Romine, by the way, you know who the biggest defender of Gary Sanchez in the Yankees clubhouse is? I'm going to say Romine. Austin Romine. It's absolutely Austin Romine. He he gets very irritated uh, when people even insinuate that uh, that Sanchez doesn't, uh, uh, you know, work hard enough or doesn't care about defense or is, is you know, wh- whatever the criticisms may be. Uh, his biggest defender in there, because I've had this conversation on and off the record with, uh, with Romine, uh, is, is his backup. Yeah, I could see that. And, I, you know, Romine is a nice backup. He certainly had um, quite the journey to get to this point now where he could be trusted coming up, what, seven years ago and, you know, getting DFA'd at one point and then working himself back out of the major league roster. And, uh, you know, it's it, it certainly is something to see when people complain about Sanchez being in the lineup or hitting in the top five. But, you know, you mentioned all the lineup gripes that, that go on for a team that's on pace to win, you know, 110, 111 games. The biggest one I have, and... You know, I saw it change again on uh, Monday night in, in Washington, but who knows what it will be in the coming series against Seattle is when Glaber Torres hits ninth. It's crazy enough when he hits ninth behind a pitcher in interleague, which is just bananas. But to consistently keep hitting this guy ninth, you know, whether it's behind Hicks or Anduar or Neil Walker, I just I don't know or understand what he needs to do to, you know, stabilize his, his role in the lineup higher than, you know, seventh. Well, I, there's an argument to be made for comfort and the fact that, you know, remember last year, for example, and a lot of people, this has been lost to history. You know, remember where Aaron Judge hit to start last season? Eighth. Exactly. Um, and it took a little while before they decided, okay, you know what, let's, let's put him up there as a middle-of-the-order guy. Um, number one, I, I don't think – Torres, you know, are you going to move Sanchez out of middle of the order and drop Sanchez to eighth or ninth? Uh, because 
Torres obviously has, has been terrific, you know, now what, seven weeks or whatever, and he came up April 22nd. Um, he's obviously been great. Um, but are you going to supplant Gary Sanchez from the, from the middle of the order? Are you going to move Giancarlo Stanton? You know, let's take those two guys, for example. If you were to move one of them to eighth or ninth and put, and put Torres there, you're creating all of a sudden a much bigger story than just the fact that you're moving Torres up. You're moving one of those guys down. Torres truly doesn't care where he hits. Torres is 21 years old. He's going to have, you know, if he continues on this trajectory, um, he's, it's going to just naturally occur organically that he's going to be moved up in the order. So he really, it doesn't matter to him. But to the other guys, to Stanton, to a Sanchez, there's no way for them to see it other than, oh, I, I've had bad two and a half months. I've been moved down to the order. And, and so the manager doesn't believe in me. And those are the type of things that, and I'm just using them as an example. Those are the type of things that fans who have a knee-jerk reaction, and I'm not putting you in this category necessarily, Neil. I'm just saying in general <laughs> when it comes to moving guys up and down in the lineup. Those are the type of things that fans don't always get. Because for them, it's this guy's going good. He needs to go up. This guy's going bad. He needs to go down. And it's the game that's in front of them that they're reacting to rather than playing the long game of, well, what's the impact in the clubhouse to something like that? And that's, you know, Dellen Batances, and I'll come back to him again, the, his rebound, the fact that he seems to have recaptured the form that made him an all-star four straight seasons, a lot of that has to do with the fact that his manager just kept throwing him out there and showed confidence in him. And so there, there, there's no formula that, that, that you can, you know, utilize or that you can, you can say to back that up. But, you know, it, the, the reality is, is if Boone stopped throwing him out there in big situations, if Boone had demoted him or if they had done whatever else, he just stopped pitching them all together, you would not have seen what you've seen out of Batances, which obviously has been, you know, huge to this team. Um, and so when it comes to struggling hitters, you know, suddenly just dropping them, it can have reverberations outside of just the next game or the next three games or the next seven games or whatever. And so, you know, look, I, Glaber Torres is not going to be a number nine hitter the rest of his career. They're winning games right now. They're winning a lot of games right now. Uh, he's, continuing to produce and when they have used him you know in, in the five hole on, on occasion or six or wherever I mean he's had what 12 games something like that where he hasn't hit ninth uh, you know he's he's done just fine in those positions too but the bulk of the work that he's done this year that, that's put him in the driver's seat to be rookie of the year has been hitting ninth it's obviously helping the team. I, I'm not sure on the list of, of concerns for this team, Glaber Torres hitting ninth, you know, ranks anywhere in the top 20, to be honest. Well, it is, it is pretty absurd how many games they've won and what their winning percentage is if you consider that outside of really Judge, who's been consistent all season, and Didi's big April, and, you know, the contributions of Anduar and Torres, no one else has really, you know, played the way they everyone thought they would. Uh, you know, Gardner, Sanchez, um, Stanton, they've all had extended slumps. Bird missed most of the season, and he's been pretty, you know, inconsistent since he came back. Um, but Stanton certainly... 
gets the meat of the attention because of who he is, what he did last season, what his contract now, um, what he's now on the books for for the Yankees over the next decade. And you look at his numbers and he's on pace to hit, you know, 40 home runs for the rest of the season, come in just under 100 RBIs. But I think, um, you know, not only his stance and not only the way he swings at sliders away and how agitated fans have gotten with him, but the idea that he could hit 40 home runs and I think it would be considered a disappointment you know, as a 59 home run hitter coming from Marlins Park to Yankee Stadium. Um, do you get the sense that, you know, anything less than, you know, 50 at this point? I, 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 that's going to be tough for him to get unless he has one of those crazy months again. But it just seems like he could hit, you know, 270, 40 home runs, 95 RBIs, and everyone will view it as a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I mean, there's no question that it's, you know, his adjustment has been a slow one. Um, and the numbers at Yankee Stadium, I, I hate this cliche, but I'll, I'll use it. Uh, I'm not beyond using a cliche <laughs> or more. Um, I, the numbers uh, at, at home, they, they, they speak for themselves. Um, they're very clearly, you know, and, I, and I'm very careful about trying to climb inside of these, these you know, any professional athlete's head by saying, oh, I know what's going on there, and, and this, and because that's not, and I think media people uh, come off sounding silly when they, when they start to talk about, you know, those types of things. Um, you know, that said, there's really only one explanation for such a, an incredible home and away split that you see with, with Stanton, and that's that, you know, I, I, there's clearly, and I don't know what the specifics of it, of it are because he doesn't let us in and, he, and he's not obligated to by any stretch. He, he actually, I, I think, is kind of a quiet, introverted guy, so he's not going to open up to the media, uh, and I don't blame him necessarily. Uh, but I, I, I think playing at home has gotten to him to some degree where he's just clearly more comfortable on the road, and, and the splits you know, show that at the, the, this point. Now, it's two and a half months into the season. It doesn't mean that that can't change. Um, but when, when you look at, at how much better he's been on the road this year compared to home, uh, there's really no other conclusion that, that you can, you can draw from that. Um, that said, I'll go back to a, you know, a Mark Teixeira line that, that he used to say all the time when we would ask him about a bad month, particularly his bad first months that Teixeira always seemed to have, he would always say, look at the back of my baseball card. And, And his point was, you know, he had eight straight years, I think it was, where he hit at least 30 home runs and drove in at least 100, uh, and drove in at least 100 RBI. And it was, you know, when all of this settles out after six months, the numbers are going to be there. Just look at the back of my baseball card. I would say the same thing with Stanton. He's been in the league long enough where you can say the exact same thing. When healthy, look at the back of his baseball card, and I think he, he's going to be there. Um, now, to your point, coming off of 59 home runs and 132 or whatever it was RBI had last year, he's not going to get those numbers this year. And if he hits 45 and drives in 105, uh, I think some people are going to look at that as, as a disappointment. But I, I'm not sure they will, Neil, if this happens. If, if he gets hot in the postseason and has a couple of, of big, and here's a cliche that I really, really hate, but I'll just throw it out there for fun. <laughs> He has a couple of Yankee moments, pause for effect, <laughs> Yankee moments in the playoffs, as you know, as a, as a lifelong Yankee fan, Neil, and I, I didn't grow up here and all that, but I, I've certainly covered the, the organization long enough and know the history well enough that regular seasons can, can be completely wiped out, good and bad, 
based on the sample size of the postseason. And so, you know, if Stanton, let's say, has, not my phraseology, but let's say has a, quote, disappointing year where he hits 45 home runs uh, and drives on 105, uh, but then in the postseason has, an, let's say, an A-Rod 2009 edition of the postseason, and you're, you know what that means, yep. um, does something like that, how many people are going to remember this year? That's a good for, point. For anything, for anything other than the postseason. You know what A-Rod did in 2009 off the top of your head? What's that? Probably not. I said, do you know what A-Rod did off the top of your head in 2009? Six, six homers, you know? 15 RBIs? No, no, I'm sorry. I mean the regular season. Oh, uh, he had 30, <laughs> I, maybe 100, 130, 100, something like that. My, my, but my point is, yeah, <laughs> he had a good, he had a, he had a really good year. But my point is, is that when you say 2009 Yankees, yeah. Alex Rodriguez, I would say 90% of Yankee fans, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, he was really good in the postseason, which he was. Um, and so, um, and conversely, if you mention certain postseasons where the Yankees came up short and you say, A-Rod, they remember he was bad in those postseasons. Um, and so I think Stanton, you know, you could see something similar. Uh, and again, I, I'm not ready to write off his, his regular season quite yet. There's still more than three months remaining for an incredibly talented hitter. And, and I think a really hot month, month and a half, two months, I, I still think is going to come for this guy at some point. But even if it doesn't, from Yankees fan standpoint, uh, he hits a big home run in a division series against the Red Sox. None of what what happened these first you know three months uh, is going to be remembered. All right, Eric. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today to talk some Yankees baseball. Things seem to be going well, but there's always something to talk about with this team. And uh, you get to enjoy your own uh, bed and your own home for the next few nights before hitting the road again. So uh, good luck uh, this week and uh, have a safe flight this weekend. Well, Neil, let me ask you before we, we end the podcast, yeah. what, is your, what is your number one concern with this, uh, with this 47 and 22 team? <laughs> you know, I always joked about what if there was Twitter in 1998. And granted, I was, would have only been you know, 11 years old for most of that season, but I can't imagine anyone had things to complain about when they were 90 and 30, but I'm sure someone <laughs> somewhere was complaining about something. But um, mm-hmm. for this team, I think... Uh, Aaron Hicks hitting first when he does and never hitting below six. That's that's you know that's the only thing I can hang my hat on with this forty-seven and twenty-two team. Okay, well, and I know look, he's not I, going I, I anywhere. Say, I, but that's that's more of a but that's more of a criticism of lineup construction. I mean, concern of you know roster makeup or construction or weakness that could be exploited when the team gets oh. to October. Cause I think we can probably agree that this team's going to play in some way, shape or form in October. Yeah. Um, See, I don't, most I'm, just, people... I'm just, I, I, and I'm not, and I'm not asking the question to, to mock or to <laughs> be sarcastic or in any way. I, I'm, I'm legitimately curious what, cause I think there are some things that, that, that if I was, if I was a Yankee fan that I would say, Oh, you know, this might worry me in yeah. a short five game series or something like that. I mean, I'm just curious for you what that, what that might be yeah, beyond, see, everyone, beyond where Aaron Hicks hits. Yeah. Everyone always mentions, um, you know, Oh, what, what will they do in a seven game series and this, but I always worry about a five game series because you have to win the five game to get to the seven game. And most people would say they're pitching right now, which I'm not, 
I'm not under that, you know, influence, which is a whole nother topic about that they should go and, and sell off more of their top prospects for a starter that, you know, uh, along the Chris Archer, Danny Duffy line. If they can't get DeGrom and they can't get Bumgarner or someone elite, I just don't think it's worth making a move. But um, not even the pitching really has me at this point. It's more of the, you know, being worried about, uh, you know, got Judge, the Judge and Sanchez combination against you know, Chris Sale or Verlander every mm-hmm. single night in October because uh, that, that that could be very painful to watch. And I know Stanton, you know, he's looked bad at times this year, and that's been against, you know, four and five starters. It's scary to think what will happen to him if he's, you know, like you mentioned, if he goes off and has a great postseason, everyone will forget this. But if he right. were to continue this and, you know, he's going down at three pitches hitting cleanup, um, it could it could turn very badly uh, very quick. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a legitimate, you know, and number one, I'm not sure any team other than the Astros, you would say, is well-built for a five-game series because um, that's just such a small sample size yeah. and things can turn so quickly based on one game in that, you know, in that type of a, of a format. So I, I'm not sure any team you would say, oh, they're, they're, that's the type of team that, that, you know, always won a five-game series. But what you're saying, if you, yeah, you run into – you know, let's say the Cleveland pitching staff is completely healthy. Um, that might scare you in a in a five game situation. Although what's interesting is the way things are shaping up now, uh, and it's so far in advance to be talking about these things that the you know the winner of the wild card game is going to play. It, it would the winner the wild card teams by New York or Boston, and then the winner of that would be playing New York or Boston yeah. more than likely in the uh, in a five game series, which. Um, if either, if I was a fan of either team, I would, that would, that prospect would scare me. To yeah. That's my number one fear in life is the idea of those, <laughs> like a seven game series is, is enough between those two. <laughs> a, a five game is just, it's just so bad because we've seen what can, you know, you, if you're not looking at the Yankees, what they did to the Indians last year, you look at, you know, what happened in the Yankees in, you know, 2002, 2005, 2006, 7, 11. Sure. I mean, it, in, you play this whole season and then in 48 hours you're down 0-2 and that's, and that's pretty much it. Right, although, the, you know, using the Indians-Yankees as an example, that's exactly what the Yankees were last year. They're down 2-0, they lose that, uh, or down 0-2, uh, they lose that absolute, heartbreaking game two in Cleveland and it looks like they're they're dead and buried and then Bird hits the home run into the second deck off Andrew Miller and that series completely completely turned around from that point uh, that point on so that that works both ways uh, too where you have so many and, that, and that's one of the reasons I like the five game series um, in terms of just a baseball fan and an excitement standpoint is that they can change so so quickly and so dramatically. Yeah, and here's well, before I let you go, one more question. I uh, speaking of what happened in that series and the non-challenge in Game Two, and then what went on, and then you know how Brian Cashman and the ownership talked about how Girardi wasn't coming back even if they won the World Series, and you see what just happened in the NHL with Barry Trotz resigning from the Capitals after winning the Stanley Cup, and I can't believe I. I will never believe that Girardi, if they won the World Series, wasn't coming back. That's just not a decision or a move you can make in New York. Um, I Neil, I have to disagree with you on that one. I I think that there's a pretty good chance. I'm not going to say 100 percent because I, I all of the factors that you mentioned come into play. But I remember standing 
with Hal Steinbrenner at the owners, GM owners and GMs had their meetings at the same time last year in the off season. And I remember standing with a group of, you know, of other reporters interviewing Steinbrenner. Um, this is a couple of weeks after the season ended or after the world series ended and uh, Girardi had been let go. And somebody asked Steinbrenner, what if you guys had won the World Series? And his answer, and he didn't hesitate or pause, his answer was essentially, my decision was my decision. Yeah, I mean, I was was very anti-Girardi at the end, and especially after what happened in Game 2, I don't think anyone wanted it back. But then when they bounced back, they beat Houston, and you're one win away from the World Series. I just... I just thought maybe they were just saying that because it helped, you know, ease him on his way out because so many people were against the decision to not bring him back. But if you win the World Series and you don't bring the manager back, that's just second-guess city for the rest of eternity. Hey, look, there's no question that would have complicated it somewhat, but I really believe that, and, and Steinbrenner said this as well, that this was a few years in the making um, and that there was some, you know, disconnect that had been building and and just some issues that people in the organization had um, with a variety of elements of of Girardi's personality and how, and how he went about things that, uh, that this was, it was sort of just, it got to the point where uh, after 10 years ownership uh, and, and Hal made this clear several times too, that this, you know, this wasn't Brian Cashman convincing him, this, this is something that he needed to do. It was more along the lines of Cashman and Hal reaching the same conclusion. Uh, and Hal wanted to make that very clear, and he did several times, because one question, the way it was phrased to him, suggested that Cashman talked Hal into this, and Hal was basically saying, no, 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 I, I, I made the decision here. Um, and so, um, I, I, you know, look, it, it's one of those things, Neil, it's a, it's a fascinating uh, question and we'll obviously never know the answer to it. Uh, and, and I've had this discussion with with a lot of you know people inside and outside the game who just who asked that exact same question. They're like, "There's no way they would have gotten rid of him had they lost, they won the World Series, right?" And I always say, "I'm not so sure about that. Um, I, I think there's a decent chance. I, again, I won't say 100% chance. I won't even say 95% chance, but I think there's a decent chance that that move gets made regardless." All right, Eric. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll have to catch up again soon, and hopefully next time we talk, things are going as well as they are now. I thought you were going to say, hopefully they're going better than they are now, and <laughs> I, I would have had to have laughed at you, but uh, no, seriously. As, as always, I enjoy talking to you, Neil, and we'll, uh, I'll see you on Twitter. All right, thanks again.